0: Warren Morris. the Series on a home run by Morris. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to the 60 feet, 6 inches LSU podcast. As always, thank you for joining me. In this episode, I will review the Wednesday night game as LSU took on Lamar. I will preview the weekend series as the Samford Bulldogs come to town. I will give you my three keys to the weekend, my picks for the get right, stay right list, my weekend prediction, and finally, the SEC rundown. As always, you can find the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, and other major audio platforms. If you're viewing this on the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU pod YouTube channel, please make sure to subscribe to the channel. So, that you don't miss out on any of the content throughout the season. On Twitter, the account is at 60FT6INLSUPOD. Once again, that's at 60 ft 6 pod. Make sure to follow the account, hit that notifications bell as well. If you missed the last episode, I reviewed the Monday game between LSU and Butler, took a look at how LSU stacked up nationally from a statistical standpoint. I went over the three big things that I learned the four-game set versus Butler and Central Connecticut State, and as always, that podcast is linked on the Twitter account in both podcast and YouTube versions. So let's get into it. First up, let's review last night's 9-2 victory over Lamar. So LSU versus Lamar review, and to me it starts with the starting pitcher, Christian Little. He has been exclusively out of the pen until Wednesday night, so I was very interested to see how he would do in his first start for the Tigers. Of the year. I wanted to see one. How long did he go? I wanted to see his demeanor on the mound. Lately, he's come out very fired up, focused, intense, like you would expect for somebody who's been in that kind of quote unquote closure type of a role. But one thing I noticed about Little in the scrimmages, I saw in his warm up pitches, he had that intensity, that fieriness, that competitiveness, and he looked like he was ready to come out and deal in a lot of these scrimmages in the fall and in the spring. But once that first hitter stepped up to the plate, it seemed like he would throttle down that emotion, and like almost he went into more of a starter's mentality, more reserved, more stoic. And look, maybe that was because he was throwing versus his teammates in front of a hundred people, and he knew that he had four innings laying in front of him. So I was pretty locked in on his emotions, his body language, and what Christian Little would I see. And I thought I saw a very good middle version of him, if you would. It, it, You know, if you know what I mean, he had that emotion at times, but he wasn't waving goodbye to every strikeout victim like he did when he finished off CCU on Sunday. I love that when he ended the game and he just told those dudes, see you later. But he wasn't stoic either. It didn't seem like he was holding back. It didn't seem like he was necessarily trying to conserve his energy for a long outing. And I thought he threw very well. So a great mix by him with that closers mentality and emotion, but also able to preserve over the four innings. So Little's line on the night was four innings pitched, four hits, one run, one earned, which came on a solo home run in the fourth, one walk, great job by that young man, and three Ks, and he did all this in an economical and efficient 56 pitches to get through four innings. Great job by Christian Little in his first start for the Tigers on the year. Also, there was no radar going on the broadcast, and I couldn't hear everything that Doug and Buzzy were saying because I had the volume turned down a little bit. But his, his velocity looked the same to me. He, as always, he's going to f- feature that four pitch mix, which is a fastball, a devastating slider, a changeup. He can throw anytime for a strike, and also an overhand curveball. And last night versus Lamar, he really featured his slider a lot. I would say between 40 to 50 percent of the time. Personally, I would have liked to seen him throw more fastballs, but. Maybe he didn't feel comfortable with his fastball. Maybe that was the game plan with Wes Johnson going into the game. And it did look like he lacked a little bit of command with his fastball throughout the four innings. I thought he may have tired a little bit in the fourth inning. And I only say that because that was really the only time Lamar had some really good hard contact against him was in that inning to go along with the home run. He left some breaking balls that were up. that, that got hit pretty hard, but in the end, a great outing. And hopefully we see him return During the weekend, I would think after his the amount of pitches he threw on Wednesday, you think he's going to take off Thursday, Friday. So at the earliest, I would think we could see Little would be Saturday, maybe, but more likely we would see Christian Little for an inning at most on Sunday, judging by the amount of pitches he threw and giving him his arm enough time to recover. In terms of the lineup, you saw Napole go back to third in place of Joe Bear, and what he lacks for hitting at the moment. I thought Napolt made some great defensive plays at third base. He did get charged with an error, LSU's fourth on the year, and I thought it was a tough error. It was pretty much a rocket to third base that he tried to knock down, even though it was right in front of him. A tough luck error, but I was very impressed with Napolt in terms of him charging the ball, him dealing with some hard shots, playing defensively at third base. I thought he looked really, really good. You also saw the Creole Bambino baby, Cade Beloso, get another start at first base. And he hit in the five hole behind Tommy White. Lamar coming into the game was only hitting 241 as a team. Really more well known for their pitching at this point in the season. But what you saw was LSU jump out to another early lead. They get two runs in the first, which saw Cruz draw a two-out walk, and then Tommy Tank hits a rocket off the right field wall. He probably missed a home run by about a foot and a half. Then you saw LSU do a very, very good job of finishing off the inning, meaning. They had a chance with two outs just to roll over and say, oh, we got our one run. That was enough. But no, you see a two-out walk by Beloso. You see Thompson have a really good at-bat with two strikes, lay off some t- tough pitches, draw a 3-2 walk. And then Brady Neal gets jammed, but it ends up being an infield single, which drives in a run. And they finished off the inning, by instead of just getting one and selling for one run, they put up a two spot in the first. LSU gets four in the second highlighted by Tommy Tank's three-run home run to right field, and that was his third home run of the year in the LSU uniform. And then from there, LSU's hitters go relatively quiet for four innings, as Lamar gets a solo shot by their best hitter, Snell, in the fourth off of Little. Snell had two hits on the night. After Little exits, you see Homers come in, and he throws okay. He does give up an unearned run in the sixth. You also see freshman right fielder Paxton Kling hit an absolute mammoth blast as he hit his second home run of the year for LSU with a solo shot in the 7th. And you see Milazzo come in and Thompson come in. They have RBI hits in the 8th for LSU to finish off Lamar 9-2. to two. You also saw after Helmers went out of the game, well, he got replaced mid-inning by Garrett Edwards. So another impressive performance, in my opinion, by Garrett Edwards he came in for Helmers in the sixth and got out of a really tricky situation, and then he absolutely dealt for three more innings, 7, 8, 9, once again flashing that very hard slider, and then that mid-90s fastball as we've seen his velocity really jump up this year. He's talked about how he's put on some weight. He's done some different things to his motion to shorten up his um, arm path to deal with some shoulder soreness he was having. So great job by Edwards as he continues to impress out of the bullpen. Garrett Edwards, his line on the night was three and two-thirds innings pitched, two hits, no walks, and two strikeouts. On the night, LSU's pitchers had eight strikeouts with only one walk, and they threw 69% of their pitches for strikes. If you saw the, um, the Tuesday pod in which I talked about some statistics, LSU does a really good job this year in terms of their pitchers. They're around that 60 to 70% strike mark almost every outing. Obviously, that's being impressed upon them by pitching coach Wetz Johnson, and once again, they continue that versus Lamar. In terms of LSU's hitters, they banged out 10 hits with eight walks and nine strikeouts. They were five for 12 with runners in scoring position and two for four with runners on third base and less than two outs. Once again, if you've been listening to the podcast all year, you know I'm really tracking those stats very heavily in terms of runners in scoring position and also can LSU drive in runners on third base with less than two outs. To wrap this thing up versus lamar i thought it was a very solid win versus a good team that's somebody you could see becoming a third seed in a regional down the down the road later in the year and to me every midweek win is a good win especially when you look at this week when you saw teams all around the country lose during the midweek you saw wake forest lose tennessee lose and then stanford lose all on tuesday night and then last night Vanderbilt had to go 17 innings against Evansville, the Aces taking the doors all the way through 17 innings. I'm sure that just blew their pitching plan up for that night. So as an LSU fan, you should be pleased with the W. Any W is a good one, but especially as you continue to rack up midweek wins. And look, LSU is continuing to play well. It's not like they're playing bad and losing in the midweek games early in the 2023 season. All right, switching gears. Let's move to the weekend and take a look at LSU's opponent, the Samford Bulldogs out of the Birmingham area. So in 2022, Samford went 28 and 29, and they were 12 and 9 in the Big South Conference. The last two years, they have had two very good players. players excuse me, transfer to SEC teams. In 2022, you saw Sonny Deshara leave Samford and go to Auburn, where all he did was lead the conference in hitting. You also saw Tyler McManus last year transfer to LSU from Sanford as well. In 2023, you have Colton Ledbetter who left Sanford and he has transferred to Mississippi State where he is absolutely tearing it up. He plays center field for the Bulldogs. So you never know what's going to happen. Maybe we'll see another Sanford player leave this year's team and come to the SEC next year. But they they do a good job of developing the players that they have. So far in 2023, the Bulldogs are 6-6. Six six. They dropped a Wednesday contest to Alabama, 11-6. As a team, they're hitting 263 on the year with only 12 home runs, and they have a nearly 2-1 to strikeout-to-walk ratio and only a 375 on on-base percentage. How, that, how does that compare to LSU? LSU's on-base percentage is right around 470. When you look at their pitching staff, they have a team ERA of 5.59, where LSU's is hovering right around about a 2.88 so nearly a three-run differential there. The pitchers have a 241 batting average against. They have given up 19 home runs, and Alabama hit five home runs against those guys on Wednesday night. Fielding, not great for the Bulldogs either. They are fielding at a 969 fielding percentage with 13 errors in 12 games. If you look at LSU, they have four errors through 12 games on the year, they were the number one fielding team in the country entering Wednesday's contest, but I don't know if that error has now dropped them down. They're probably still in the top five when you look at fielding percentage throughout the country. Focusing in on some of Sanford's key hitters, they have five guys hitting over 300. From an average perspective, you have Garrett Howe, who leads the team with a 366 batting average. He also leads the team with 10 RBIs. Lucas Steele, he's hitting 357 and he's tied for the team lead with three home runs in 2023. Steven Klein, who led Sanford in hitting in 2022, this year he's picking up right where he left off, and he's hitting 325 for the Bulldogs. And then finally, John Anderson, who is a Georgia Tech transfer, he's hitting .311 on the year with three home runs as well. And don't forget LSU fans. Former LSU football player Maurice Hampton also plays for Sanford. He's hitting 200 on the year, with only 10 at-bats, but he does have two stolen bases. So hopefully we'll get to see him make an appearance uh, in his old stomping grounds this weekend. In terms of the pitchers, a reminder that a 5.59 team ERA, not great. The best I could do in terms of my projected weekend starters for Sanford and some key bullpen arms to look out for, I definitely think on Friday they're going to see Jacob Cravey, a right-handed pitcher. He has a 4.32 ERA. Three games started, he does have a one no record. In those three games, he has thrown 16 and two-thirds innings pitched, given up eight hits, nine runs, eight earned. He does have 10 walks in 16 and two-thirds, also has 23 strikeouts on the year. Good news for LSU fans, almost all the pitchers LSU will see this weekend are right-handed. So we can put those lefties aside as I think they only have three or maybe four on their entire roster And when you look at those lefty stats, their ERAs are truly inflated, well up into the teens. Another guy who LSU may see as a Saturday starter is Will Lynch. Will has an 8.25 ERA, three games started. He is 0-1 on the year for the Bulldogs. 12 innings pitched, nine hits given up, 13 runs, 11 earned, seven walks, and 14 Ks in those 12 innings. Also, another guy that's kind of come on lately in terms of their third starter and they, they kind of had some issues, as you can imagine, with some ERAs that I've just uh, mentioned, determining who that third starter is going to be. If I had to pick, I think it's going to be Brody Westbrooks. Now, he does have a very small ERA, 0.90 ERA, three appearances on the year with one game started. He's 0-1, but in but in his three appearances, 10 innings pitched, 9 hits, 7 walks, and 11 Ks. Another guy they have been starting on the weekends, but based off these numbers, I'll be surprised if they – Uh, put him out there in the starting spot to go against a lineup like LSU. His name is Jake Holifield. He has a 17.55 ERA in three games started. I just don't know if that's the best option for the Bulldogs moving forward. Now, when you look at their bullpen, they do have very good arms and some guys that have worked a lot early on in the year. Carson Hobbs, who's kind of their bullpen ace, but he actually started against Alabama the other night. He only went, I think, one and two-thirds against the Tide. But Hobbs has five appearances on the year with a 1.64 ERA. He does have two saves, 11 innings pitched, five walks, 17 strikeouts. So, well above that one to one ratio we look at in terms of strikeouts to innings pitched, and only a 139 batting average against for Hobbs. Another bullpen arm is Trey Sanders, five appearances, a 0.90 ERA, 10 innings pitched, and seven Ks for Sanders. And the guy who we could see as many as two times this weekend is Ben Peschke, seven appearances already in 12 games for Sanford. a two and one record with a 3.37 ERA, 10 and two thirds innings pitched, seven walks and 15 Ks. So I think after the starters, we'll probably see a combination of Hobbs, Sanders and Peschke, probably in two out of the three games this weekend versus LSU. Let's turn our attention back to the Tigers. So what are my three keys to the weekend? First, defense and situational hitting. LSU only has four errors on the season. As I mentioned, a top five defense in the country heading into the Lamar game. They were number one in the country, and they showed great flashes of that versus the Cardinal with Thompson in the pole playing really well versus Lamar making some very good plays on some uh, charging the ground balls, making throws off of one foot, very impressive on difficult plays. I just want them to keep on keeping on when you look at the defense. Look, the, a good defense does a ton of things. For the pitchers on the mound, it gives them confidence that you can get out of jams with runners on base. It's okay if you pitch to contact in the situations. You don't have to strike out everybody. Um, it's also massive in terms of momentum, and I've been really impressed and encouraged to the defense up to this year. Look, the outfield defense has been fine. I think especially with Kling in right field, he has the ability to go get some balls, especially coming in on some of those bloopers. Trey Morgan has been solid, uh, not necessarily spectacular, but he hasn't really hurt LSU in left field, and Cruz is going to be Cruz. But to me, the defense has really shined on the infield portion, and then Brady Neal has done a fabulous job back there at catcher in terms of blocking balls in the dirt. So let's just keep up the defensive prowess that they've showed so far. In terms of situational hitting, is also part of that number one key for the weekend for me. We went over it on Tuesday's pod, the ability to hit with runners in scoring position and drive-in runners that are on third with less than two outs has been a massive focus for LSU this year, and I think that level of concentration needs to remain at the forefront for this weekend. Here is the gold-plated money stat of the weekend, maybe of the year so far. LSU has seen 2,190 pitches on the season so far. Yes, your boy went back and did the math. 2,190 pitches they have seen. They have seen that number of pitches in 422 at-bats by the LSU hitters. Therefore, that is an average of 5.19, we'll just call it, five pitches per AB that the LSU hitters have seen. That is amazing. So if you think about it, on average, every time an LSU hitter comes up to bat, they're going to a almost a full count, a, a minimum, a 2-2 count. Just think about what that does to a pitcher, the other team, the other team's defense, the amount of pressure that puts on that team, the amount of pressure in terms of execution that puts on that other team's pitcher. And it is tough when you're facing a lineup like LSU's in terms of the depth to keep up that level of execution and concentration at bat after bat after bat. Great job by Jay Johnson and his staff coaching those guys up. Fabulous job by executing that game plan from the LSU hitters. Roughly five pitches per AB in the 2023 season, my second key to the weekend: let's keep Uncle Mo the big momentum on our side before conference play next starts next weekend in College Station. Now, look, sometimes coming up with these keys for me can be a little bit difficult, maybe a little bit of a stretch, especially when they're playing so well. And it's much easier for me to come up with keys when uh, conference play starts. But this weekend versus Sanford, I just want to see this team play clean, complete baseball. Execute across all facets of the game and just take a business like approach to the weekend. I think Sanford is a worthy opponent, definitely somebody else you cannot overlook, especially when I look at other weekend series across the conference. Let's just say it's not a stellar slate for the SEC. A lot of weak series leading into SEC play, probably no surprise there. I want these guys to keep good momentum, momentum heading into College Station and not have a game to where they just let their guard down, right, to where all of a sudden they boot the ball around and they have three errors, and even though they win, or they have a two-to-one game just because they lack execution and lack focus, and they think LSU's pitchers can get the job done on the mound. Also, I want to see LSU starters, whoever they may be, from a pitching standpoint, go out in the third because they're driving up their pitch count. They're walking everybody. Every inning is a little bit of a circus. I just want to see a good, clean weekend, focus on LSU, and continue to keep Uncle Mo on our side and take care of business. The third key to my weekend, and I don't know if it's necessarily key in terms of um, will they need this to happen for these guys to have success, but it's more of a curiosity on my standpoint. I want to see who starts the Sunday game for the LSU pitching staff, and hopefully that gives us some clarity in terms of what the coaching staff's plan is heading to into Texas A&M next weekend. Will they stick to Chase Shores? who really hasn't done anything wrong to lose his Sunday spot. Um, will they turn turn to Thatcher Hurd, who threw great Monday versus Butler? Will he slide into that weekend spot? Or are we going to see Riley Cooper return to the weekend rotation as well? Your guess is as good as mine up to this point. I feel like every time I make a prediction lately, it's been wrong, especially with regard to the pitchers and who I think will or should start. In my opinion, I think it should be Hurd's spot moving into conference play. I would like to make move Chase Shores into the midweek starting spot so he can relax, extend his innings, and pitch against very good teams as he continues to develop consistency with that secondary pitch, whether it be a slider or a changeup for him. But all I can do is guess just like y'all, roll the dice out there, and we'll see who rolls out to the mound for LSU on Sunday. All righty. Get right, stay right, baby. Hashtag get right, stay right. Who's going to make my list this weekend? And just to let y'all know, look, I can always put stay right, Paul Skeens, stay right, Dylan Cruz, but I try to mix it up every weekend, pick somebody different, you know, just to, uh, one, just pique my interest when I'm watching the game so I can focus on another player, and two, dig a little deeper in terms of who's doing really well that may be overlooked and who's scuffling somebody that may be overlooked as well. First, get right, Joe Bear. Brain Joe Bear, we need you to get right this weekend. And you really could say the third third base position as a whole, as it's been split between Nepole and Joe Bear, but I went for Joe Bear this week. Joe Bear's hitting 243 on the year, Napole's hitting 185. Joe Bear has two doubles, three home runs, but he does have 10 strikeouts with five walks. On the flip side, Napole is only hitting 185, but he does have six walks to six K's, and he's played some really stellar defense as of late. And I think Joe Bear lately has been just a, a victim of hard hit balls right at people. Obviously, it's important the power that he adds to this lineup, but also the depth that he provides to this lineup as well, especially if he gets put in that 7, 8, and 9 spot, because look, when he gets hot, he gets white hot, and every AB is appointment viewing. He can go off in a weekend to where he can go, you know, like 9 for 14 with three home runs. We've seen him do it, and he has that ability. I think they're just looking for more consistent at-bats from him this year, and it's uh, kind of been like it was last year. I think last year he hit 246 with 18 home runs. But I think Jay Johnson, those guys really like to see him up around 300. He's talked about how he's trying to improve his approach in 2023. But Joe Bear, I would love for you to get right this weekend versus Sanford. The other player on my get right list is Riley Cooper. Where has my guy been? He's been MIA as of late. He hasn't pitched since his Iowa outing in Round Rock. Now, look, maybe he has thrown some live batting practice. Versus LSU hitters during the midweek, obviously that we are not uh, privy to see. Maybe he's even thrown some uh, kind of scrimmage innings, one or two innings versus LSU hitters during the midweek to stay sharp as well. But I would really like to see him throw this weekend. They said he was warming up in the pen last night versus Lamar. I don't know if the plan was to get him in the game or just to get him a short little bullpen so that he stays sharp. But I want to see him take the mound this weekend before SEC play gets going. So far on the year, Cooper has two appearances with two games started. He's one and one, a five point four zero ERA. Cooper has thrown eight and a third innings pitch, giving up seven hits, three walks, and twelve Ks. And I think a lot of people, uh, I was, I was, may have been in that camp. I really thought Herd was going to throw Monday, but some people thought maybe thought Cooper was going to throw Monday, but um, Herd got the start. So then you know who who's going to throw Wednesday. I thought they may roll Cooper out there Wednesday, but no, you saw Christian Little take the mound. So I have no idea what the plan is for him moving forward. Your guess is as good as mine. I have no inside scoop, no inside intel, but I just want to see Cooper take the mound and throw a good two or three innings this weekend, get him right before they head off to take on the Aggies. Looking at stay right, I got to go with the freshman, Paxton Kling. He's hitting 393 on the year and nine games started. He has 28 ABs, two doubles, two triples, two home runs, and his on-base percentage is 528. He only has six Ks with three walks on the year, and he he is tied for the team lead with five hit-by-pitches. So my man is not afraid to stand in the box and take one. I think he is – I predicted uh, kind of in my LSU preview earlier in the year that I thought he would take over the starting right field spot before conference play, and it looked like he now has a stranglehold on that spot with Joe Bear kind of moving into the third-base position – as Tommy Tanks is still recovering from that shoulder injury. We haven't seen him play the field really since the first uh, first inning of the year, actually. So Paxton Kling, stay right. Also on the stay right list is Tommy Tanks. He was on a get right list last weekend, and he seems to be catching fire right now, right before NCC play. Couldn't come at a better time for the Tigers. Tanks is hitting 382 on this season. After his early season shoulder injury, kind of got off to a slow start as he was recovering from that. But he has five doubles, three home runs, 14 RBIs, and only four strikeouts. He also has five hit by pitch as well. And I hope to see some more tanks this weekend as he is providing the perfect protection for Dylan Cruz, in my opinion. I love it when Cruz is bracketed by Trey Morgan in that two hole, Cruz in the three hole tanks in the four hole. Morgan does a great job of getting on base. Cruz is not afraid to take walks this year. Not that he has been afraid in the past, but you see him really ratcheting up that concentration with two strikes. And teams can't pitch around Cruz because they have tanks waiting in the on-deck circle right behind him in the four hole. I was thinking about adding Garrett Edwards after his impressive performances to the stay right list, but after Wednesday's outing, Edwards threw 44 pitches. And I can't imagine seeing him before Saturday. Probably Sunday is more likely. And the same goes with Christian Little. But I would love for Edward to stay right. I just didn't know if we were going to see him Friday or Saturday. The last person on the stay right list. That's it, baby. Hashtag nasty Nate. Mr. Nate Ackenhausen. Three appearances on the year for the Juco lefty. He is 2-0 with a 1.12 ERA. Eight innings pitched. Two hits. One run, one earned, two walks and seven Ks. And oh, by the way, opponents are only batting 0. .080 versus my man, Nasty Nate. He has been phenomenal this season coming out the pin. is throwing a ton of strikes. His slider plays both to lefties and to righties. is attacking the zone, saying, here it is. Hit my stuff if you can. And he has been on point all year. And I would love to see that continue because he is going to be massive massive come SEC play. Especially if Cooper moves into the pen, that is two very good lefties we have. Tennessee has a lot of left-handed sticks. Mississippi State, a lot of left-handed sticks. Alabama and um, Arkansas as well. So those guys are going to be massive moving into conference play. I don't want to forget Griffin Herring as he's gotten some early innings this year for the freshman. But just to review, get right. Joe Barron, Cooper, stay right. Paxton Kling, Tommy Tanks, and Nasty Nate. Nate Ackenhausen. So what's my prediction for LSU versus Sanford this weekend? I think LSU sweeps. I don't think Sanford has the pitching to keep up with the LSU bats and keep them at bay, and they're struggling on the pitching side as well, even though you do have five guys hitting over 300. I think the LSU hitters are going to be relieved, probably as the fans are too, to not see so many, if any, left-handed pitchers this weekend. But once again, I think this weekend is more about LSU, and can they continue to focus and put together complete Nine inning performances. By complete, I mean, look, hitting, pitching, and fielding all three phases of the game. I'm going to be interested to see if Ty Floyd starts again on Saturday. I think he deserves it. I think he looked great last weekend. And then who starts on Sunday? Because at this point, as I told y'all, I have no clue. I have loved the way the lineup has approached the last couple of games. After coming off four games where they had double digit strikeouts and 54 Ks in four games, I think they're taking a really good approach. They're at bats. They are laying off some very tough pitches, and they continue to put pressure on the other team's defense and pitching staff when they can draw walks, draw innings and extendings, and then finish innings, driving, at, driving in two out RBIs. It is so tough to pitch against this LSU Tiger team early in 2023 when the lineup is locked in. They don't allow you to breathe as an opposing pitcher. Usually in college, you see one through five, but then six, seven, eight, nine, you're going to have some designated outs in that lineup or you're going to face a guy who's hitting under 200. And LSU's lineup just really doesn't allow you to take a breath out there. I'm telling you, it is difficult. Once you get past Cruz, Tanks, Beloso, or Jones, then you got Thompson, Neal as a freshman has a great eye. Then you have Kling or Joe Bear, whoever it is down there at the bottom of the order. You just can't take a breath. You, when you look up, you're like, oh, no, this guy's hitting 150. Hopefully I can throw a fastball down the middle and he'll roll over. Nope, because we know they're going to average about five pitches per AB. That is just a lot of concentration at this level of baseball to continue to throw good pitches, stay out of the middle of the plate because any guy can run one out of the ballpark on you, and that is just really tough from a college pitcher's standpoint to do inning after inning after inning multiple times to this lineup, much less one time. How about the SEC rundown for the weekend? Look, I mentioned it earlier. It is not a very interesting or exciting slate of games across the conference. And you could tell that SEC play starts next weekend. When I look at the SEC East, only one series really interests me, and that is Loyola Marymount traveling across the country, traveling east to Nashville as they take on the Vanderbilt. I think Vandy goes 2-1 and one in this series, but I would not be surprised to see Loyola Marymount take two games. They're a very tough West Coast ball club who's gotten off to a good start this year in terms of the west we do see some more interesting series Louisiana Tech travels up to Fayetteville as they take on Arkansas and we know Louisiana Tech gave Ole Miss trouble last week in the midweek as they played Ole Miss Tuesday and Wednesday I do think Arkansas takes two out of three but I would not be surprised if Arkansas drops the Saturday and Sunday game but I think the Hogs prevail as they take two out of three from the La Tech Bulldogs Southeastern visits Auburn I think Auburn takes two out of three. Northern Kentucky visits College, State, College Station. And look, looking at Northern Kentucky, they can bang the ball around the ballpark. AM's pitching is a bit in shambles. It's not nearly, um, I would say, as good as they thought it was going to be. It seems like they have a lot of talent. And even in my preview episode, I thought the pitching was a question mark. I thought they would hit better this year. They were almost dead last in the conference in terms of hitting. So very disappointing in terms of their hitters early in 2023. They have struggled with some easy, in my opinion, easy out-of-conference foes. I think AM does take two out of three from Northern Kentucky at home, but I would not be surprised if two of those games turn into slugfest. Finally, Ole Miss continues their Big Ten schedule as they have faced Maryland four times this year, Nebraska Minnesota once each last weekend at the Cambria Classic. As they welcome the Boilermakers of Purdue to town, I think Ole Miss sweeps as they go 3-0, and then they can crown themselves Big Ten champs if they want. So that will do it for this week's review of the LSU-Lamar game and then a preview of the upcoming weekend as the Tigers take on the Sanford Bulldogs. Thank you all for tuning in. As a reminder, subscribe to the YouTube channel so you don't miss out on any of the content throughout the year. And then follow me on the Twitter account. It is at 60FT6INLSUPOD, at 60FT6INLSUPOD. The podcasts are always available on Google, Apple, Spotify, and other major audio platforms. Next up, the weekend series review podcast. Thank y'all for tuning in as always. So until next time, y'all stay safe. And remember, always, go Tigers.